WFNU is a volunteer-run station made up of many different community voices. Each program expresses one aspect of this diversity and not the view of WFNU or FTI as a whole. Has all the information. Yeah, we live it, we have eyes. Let me heal first, then 
Greetings, adapters, and welcome to the 14th episode of Adapt Revolution. Today we feature artists with disabilities. Our first piece is from a group out of New Zealand, and they will talk about artists from all over the world with disabilities. The art world, high culture, big prices, and even bigger words. artists with disabilities. What is the value of art for them? They're my name. Okay. Carmen Nia is 56. Hello. She doesn't say much and has an intellectual disability. She's a full-time painter and her work has been exhibited alongside prominent Kiwi artists. Danny Miller. He's 49 and lives in San Francisco. He has severe epilepsy and an intellectual disability. Right. Two of his works are in the permanent collection at the Museum of Modern Art in New York. Meet William. He's 45, has autism, and lives with his mum in San Francisco. His paintings sell for thousands, and his images have been used in fashion creations by designer Mark Jacobs. Andrew Blythe lives with paranoid schizophrenia. 
He spent most of his life in psychiatric hospitals or on the street. His exhibitions are sellouts, and his works now caught the eye of international collectors. All of these artists work full-time at their craft. Surely it's about more than throwing a bit of paint around and keeping people's days filled. We want to find out what value art brings to the lives of people living with a disability. San Francisco boasts the world's largest space for artists with disabilities. Creative Growth was the first studio of its kind, opening its doors over 40 years ago. Back then, many judged art as merely therapy or a way to fill time. Here, the artists are recognised for their pure talent. Well, you know, I think we probably all have some experience of being around people with disabilities in the greater world. We see them on the bus. We see them maybe walking down the street, and we have a concept in our own minds about uh, who they are or where they fit into society or whether they do or not. You know, I don't know. I think we all have our preconceived notions, and that doesn't exist here at Creative Growth. Sit up, take note. This is Dan Miller and his huge works in paint and pen. The dirt. He has an intellectual disability and wears a helmet to protect his head when he has seizures. The light can bump on and off. Dan likes words. His favourite's making it into his art. Electrician. Right. On and off. Right. He's been coming here to Creative Growth every day for the past 10 years. For as long as he's been, been here, made the same kind of artwork, which is taking the words that are in his mind and in his language that he repeats and putting them down on the page. Um, again, he's telling a story, and over time, that story has created a beautiful composition on a page. Sandy. Sandy. Live here. She lives here? Right. Dan, too, has been completely infiltrated into the insider art world. His work hangs at the Museum of Modern Art in New York. He, too, has had um, exhibitions at White Columns and internationally that have sold out and given him a lot of people come to visit him. And, and I would say that he really has had a shift of being a kind of quiet, shy person to learning how to be social. So art has been this sort of touchstone for him in that way, where he's really come out of his shell. Great switch. Right. Right. A great switch. Right. On and off. Daniel Miller's works uh, sells for between $2,000 and $2,500. And uh, again, the money that goes into his, um, to his pocket has just provided comfort for him and his living situation. That's 4,000 New Zealand dollars. The art world recognizes his genius. The disabilities are relevant. In the beginning, the biography was very important. You know, this is a person with a disability. Wow, I can't believe they can do this. And over time, um, they've, you know, the viewer, the public has been able to really look at the art, really understand what the artists are doing, and look at the value of the piece that's been made. And uh, not only that it's been made by a person with a disability, but the contribution that it's making to the larger contemporary art world. What are you writing? A draped, draped, S-T. These artists need support, and the world wouldn't be aware of their talents if it wasn't for creative growth. Right? Like a switch on the chain. The sad right. truth is, 
that people with disabilities have limited access to the arts. These artists don't have a qualification from an art school, so they're called outsider artists. In New York, Suzanne Brown organises her world into boxes. I particularly like these ones. The simplicity of her work is refreshing. Who are these people? My mother over here and my sister Claudia, me, my sister Connie who's the youngest and my sister Barbara. What I enjoy about work by self-taught artists is the intuitive quality, uh, the mark making. Often there's an obsessiveness and I was thinking when I was walking around here, I wonder why that is a quality of work by self-taught artists. Often perhaps there's an ability to focus that other artists don't have. There's too many voices in the world. Uh, critical voices, maybe art theory gets in the way. Um, art school, there's exams, there's timetable. Maybe there's an ability of self-taught artists to listen to their intuition more fully uh, without, without a filter. With an exhibition comes visibility. The art and the artist are exposed to a lot more people. I'd been told about an artist whose huge impressionistic canvases had been snapped up by an international collector. Do my name. At 56, Carmeny Nair's talents have finally been discovered. I think the, the work is exuberant and I think uh, her infatuation with certain colours comes across. Um, I love the fact that she's titled the show yellow, pink, red, orange. It's almost irrepressible and it's consistent. The work is strong. She's having a good time painting too, you can tell. It's nice to capture the pleasure of paint. Normally shy, showing her work to the world is giving Carmeny more confidence. She's engaging with the community. I think it's meant an awful lot to Carmeny. She's empowered as an artist, seeing her work um, up on display in this community space. She's got a huge sense of pride around that, um, and that was kind of portrayed on the opening night with a number of people she was showing around and confidently talking about her work. This is Carmeny's show, Yellow, Pink, Red, Orange. Her massive impressionistic paintings are part of an exhibition with recognised Kiwi artists. No, pink. Carmeny's family had expected she'd probably never have a special interest in life. But four years ago, Carmeny began painting at Sand Studio, a creative space for people with disabilities. Carmeny's artistic ability astounded her 85-year-old mum. Well, just um, two, three years back, she started coming up with the artwork and I thought it might be something just ordinary. When I went to see the painting, I was quite surprised. I couldn't even believe to my eyes that my daughter's done that, that huge paintings, you know, with some of my friends. And it was really a big thing for us in the family. Oh, I was very, very proud to see the painting. I said, just a small gathering or something. When I see the people, the crowd all coming, then I rang my son. I said, Son, come and see what's this here. The common is it's a big day for us, and you come along. Brass, small brass. It was really, really a big surprise for us. We didn't know she was keeping all those things in her all the time. English isn't Carmeny's first language. She has few words to describe her art. Oh, the colour of white paint here, white paint. Uh, the colour of uh, white paint here, auto paint here, colour. 
the color mix of paint green, red, pink, purple, uh, orange, blue. Still, she's not the first artist to prefer the work to speak for itself. the community that challenging their perceptions and their values when yeah, it's seen on par um, alongside other mainstream artists and yeah that's strongly saying that message. Yeah. Art lets us explore who we are and how we see ourselves and with success the world sees us differently too. William Scott has autism. That's me. That's my name. But that's not how he defines himself. That's a popular guy. I'm a popular guy. William Scott certainly falls into the category of, you know, someone who's an artist. So making friends to all lot of people, making friends to a lot of people. He traveled to New York for one of his shows about three years ago, and I was lucky enough to go along with him. And as we were walking along the street one day in New York, he turned and he looked at me and he said, okay, I'm an artist. And something changed, something happened. He was among peers, other people that understood his work and that were art makers and that were art collectors. And um, he'd been in, in, the, in the art scene there and he felt like that was a right place for him to be. And so there was an identity shift, you know? And although William had never told me how he identified himself before that, it's a big deal for an artist of any, you know, of any, stature or any media that they work in to finally say out loud, okay, I'm an artist. William paints what he loves. Heroes, the friendly folk he knows, and celebrities he admires. See that? Cindy Harris a peacemaker, Terry Ellis a peacemaker, and, and Jan Jackson is a peacemaker. This is a serious stuff. Uh, ultra woman, the real superhero, to hiring the peace, magic peace, to put it on the, on the earth. Yes, with that mask on. Art's a great escape. William creates a world of moral citizens living in a clean and idyllic city. Those guards, they take away the, uh, the wrong people. They get put away, get recycled by those guards. Recycle those bad people where they're doing killings or gun violence, they get recycled by guards. Recycle, people recycling. These people will be taking evil's place in their limits We'll be taking science fiction's play. We'll be taking sci-fi's place to cancel the evil sci-fi's, take away the sci-fi's. The guards from William's paintings don't exist in his neighborhood. He lives in a part of town famed for high crime and street dealing. Every day he escapes, taking a two-hour journey to creative growth. In his art, 
William perfects a dream. Plans for a new San Francisco, free of crime. He is a man in his 40s who grew up in San Francisco um, in a neighborhood that was pretty tough. There was a lot going on with drugs and with gangs and with violence. And he um, came up with a manifesto, I'll call it, of how to reinvent his neighborhood. I designed a new San Francisco. Real good. Yeah, yeah you wanna see my drawings? All oh, architects. In the future of the housing right here, the new housing will be right here. We'll be in the candlestick point right here. So make a real peaceful place. Where will you live? We'll be, I will live right here. Right here. I will live right here. Mm -hmm. uh, he started reinventing it in drawings, mostly architectural drawings and sculpture of the, the housing facilities that he grew up in and of the people that inhabited his neighborhood. He redid them. Uh, beautiful and shining and supported and with values that he um, considered very important and positive people and uh, that's primarily what his artwork has been about. This is Janet Jackson right here. That's my favorite fan right here. And this is Janet right here. Janet Jackson is right here. The people will like pretty woman of Janet Jackson. I love Janet Jackson. But this Janet Jackson of inner limits of Janet Jackson up the hiring the peace world, and she stops the war. Janet Jackson stops the war, and she's an inner limit woman, and she's wholesome encounter to put people's lives back when they lost their lives. What stands out the most in William's work is that you believe him. You know, you believe what he's telling you, and you, you want to support him in the truth and in the endeavor of what he's doing. Um, not only to create an environment that he feels comfortable in, but for all of San Francisco that might be suffering. Utopian ideas, they were very popular, and they still are in contemporary art making. So there was a moment there for William, especially in New York galleries, where he really was right on you know, par with what other artists were doing. Yeah, William's work um, sells upwards of $2,500, and the sales of his work have actually contributed to his family in a really important way. You know, he'd been um, taken care of by his mother. He's 45 years old and taken care of by his mother for his entire life, and in the last two or three years, based on his art sales, he's contributed to his independence and to his own life and to his mother's life, so it's a big deal. Art is expressive, but does it have the ability to transcend language? Abby Twist is deaf. Through her art, she can express her ideas, thoughts, and emotions. Art is everything to me. To start with, without art, the world would be a very dark and depressing place. Not to mention boring. It's almost unimaginable. That's why I like my art to be so colourful. That means a lot to me. Unlike our other painters, Abby's had formal training, so she's not an outsider artist. But being deaf, she doesn't always feel like an insider. 
When Abby studied at Elam School of Fine Art, she was the only deaf student. She felt incredibly isolated. Well, I did miss out on a lot, especially when people were getting together and having chats. They would feed each other and critique each other's work. Sometimes they would all gather around a sculpture and if they went out for lunch or anything, they would all get together and chat. I was by myself a lot. I guess I was used to it. It meant that I could focus on my studies. Do you think that being deaf, do you think that somehow sort of influences your art? Deaf people communicate visually and that does show in my artwork. I feel both deaf and hearing people can still make sense of my work. This is a painting I did in Melbourne. It's an Australian advertisement that I've added my own text to make people think about being deaf. And can you tell me, do you see yourself as like, or do you identify yourself as a deaf artist? My art has a lot of different elements. Some of my art includes my deaf identity, some of it doesn't. There are many aspects to my work. Putting on an exhibition is a huge task even harder when there's a communication barrier. Abby's curating Auckland's first exhibition of deaf artists. So why a separate exhibition just for deaf artists? Couldn't those artists just be in any exhibition? There are lots of exhibitions that include work by hearing artists throughout the world. So why not have an exhibition for deaf artists? Being deaf is no barrier to becoming an artist. And deaf people are naturally a visual culture. That's why we're having the exhibition. And we want to present the art to a broader audience so hearing people through this art can see things from a deaf perspective. Hence the exhibition and we're just going to go for it. In the past, the art of psychiatric patients was seen as a portal to their minds, and exhibitions attracted a kind of morbid fascination. But instead of assuming that Andrew Blythe's work represents the thoughts of someone with paranoid schizophrenia, perhaps we should be asking, what role does creativity play in keeping people mentally well? Like the therapeutic thing in art, it's sort of like, you know, uh, when I'm painting away, I can ignore all other things, including things in my own self, and, you know, I could paint away a, a thing that I want to do instead of worrying, which I, like, I do a lot, but, <laughs> yeah. Andrew Blythe is a painter in residence at Toyora, a studio space for artists with mental illness.
Right before I went to Toyo, like I felt I wasn't really alive even. Andrew experiences delusions. He sometimes feels skeptical and afraid. When we first met him two years ago, he struggled to speak with us. He wasn't really comfortable around anyone. Because I went through a couple of years where I didn't say anything at all to anybody. You know, I somehow thought that it was unnecessary to talk to people and stuff. Now, Andrew has a clear sense of purpose. He's an artist. Toyota wasn't there. I don't know what I would be doing. Um, some patients go gardening and... I always felt that it was so useless. <laughs> Does creativity have a kind of therapeutic value for you? Um... Well, yes, it does, yes, it's, um... Uh, I was never one to fall in love, you know, with people around the place because I've always been on the dole. But um, painting is, it's like being in love, it, or it is being in love. It's like being in love, it's just wonderful, yeah. Art is love. Could there be any higher value? Andrew started drawing on scraps of paper. He's had no formal training. And feels that's given his work freedom. The art of people in the hospital sort of just come out of the mind like that. We're on a train too, and you know, yet and yet there have been such fine, a lot of fine work, you know, produced at Toyora. Great work, even. It all sort of goes unrecognised, you know, we ought to be you know, having exhibitions with all of our paintings all over the walls, <laughs> everywhere. When I first saw Andrew's work, I, I... I assumed it was work by a graduate student, a painter. He has a gift for the process of applying paint, and it's, I think it's highly considered abstract painting. Yeah, they're completely abstract and they're non figurative, you know, they're not pictures of anything else, you know, they're not still lives. I just love looking at his work because I, when I'm looking at his work, I'm looking at his, a record of his choices, and that's what I look at when I look at painting, it's not just pretty pictures, it's a, a little, there's a little story there. You can look at details and see the choices that the artist made. They might be conscious or not conscious. I think in Andrew's work, there's a lot of consciousness and um, he's a very, very serious painter. His work's been shown in Paris and New York. I delight in what he produces. The people I've shown his work to in New York got this, had the same uh, reaction and they immediately compared his work to some of the painters from the 50s who worked in a similar way. So they locate the work in terms of art history. Like, what's in my mind, um, like when I paint, it's, um, you know, I'm always trying to get the whole thing to be perfect. Yeah, concentration and, and um, sort of looking at each tiny letter and um, composing the picture properly, and some acts of daring, risk-taking, you know, and things like that, yeah. A lot of it's thought and composition and you know, hard work and long hours, and if I could, you know, I'd, I'd be working until 12 o'clock, you know, at night. It's a sort of 
like it's a, a sort of like a love wedding. much power. It crosses language barriers, allows us to convey our emotions, it changes perceptions and opens the mind. It's a way of earning money and respect. Well, I'm inspired. A big thank you to all the artists involved in today's programme. Now, Jessica Kelgren Fozard from Chronically Fabulous Life will talk to us about the importance of fashion with a disability. Hi, lovely people. Thank you to everyone who watched my video about chronic fatigue syndrome. And thank you for subscribing, sharing, sending me really sweet comments. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Made me happy. <laughs> Following on from that video, here's one about clothes. Woo! Com completely, completely relate. I know, it seems unrelated, but it's actually completely connected. And I'm in a wrist blend today, so you know, pretty stylish. What can I say? How we look isn't just important in terms of our own identity and how we feel about ourselves. It also impacts on how other people look at us, see us, and react to us. I still held my hair in rollers when I was living in hospital, even when I barely had the energy to read or eat or priorities. I didn't want to give up on who I am, but it also really affects the way that people treat you. That was help, by the way. Although I'm pretty sure a doctor is going to help you, even if you've got sick in your hair, as I did on a number of occasions. But it was well curled hair, so. I definitely liked vintage clothes and bright colours before I got ill. Mini fashionista. When you're in a wheelchair or walking with a stick or looking slightly like a fool, because you kind of missed what on earth's going on in this conversation now because you can hear and you're like, oh, I can't stop. I'm just standing on the room. People are going to look at you anyway, so you should give them something to look at. I didn't choose a specific era. I wear what I like and what makes me happy. I'm a big believer in not giving in to negativity. If I feel sad, I want to watch a happy film, do fun things, and wear bright colours. When I wear black, I add in a little element of fun, hair flower, 
I would describe my style as feminine, but not girly. I don't own lots of pink stuff and I don't really paint my nails. I also don't own a pair of trousers. No. Other things that I also don't care about are hiding stuff. Obviously, my YouTube. I don't wear my hair to cover my hearing aids because you know, then it gets in the way. When I wore these beautiful greyish wristlets all day, every day, for a year and a half, I didn't wrap them up or cover them with my sleeves or gloves because they are amazing. They help me and covering them, that doesn't help me. It would just be making other people feel better. I'm proud of my disability aids, whatever they may be. I'm proud of me. I'm proud of the way I dress. Blancy, colorful, and occasionally freakishly eccentric. Genuinely. Sometimes I catch myself in a group and I'm like, whoa, why do I look so different to all of you? And why do I think it looks so good? Headbands give me tingles. And I don't know why, other than the obsessive love of Blair Waldorf. I should probably stop this here before it gets out of hand. <laughs> Do you want to see more videos about my style and my clothes? Maybe some reviews of brands, tips, ideas? Let me know in the comments. Good, isn't it? Subscribe for more and hit the thumbs up because it makes me happy. Now, the artists from Art Enabled will talk to us about what it's meant for them, for art, to be something that they not only do, but that gives back to them in their life and their ability to have everything that they need. When I first came here, I, I was a mess. When I saw an opportunity to make art in this well-lit place around all these artists, it just brightened me up. I am a professional artist working around art, doing my art, and selling my art. And that's, that's the jam right there. Art Enables is an art gallery and supported employment program for adult visual artists with disabilities to make, market, and earn income from their art sales. Only about 20% of people with disabilities are participating in the workforce. Art Enables is committed to trying to reduce some of those barriers and create opportunities for people to be able to build and establish careers.
And this is the great place to work. The place where you can have fun, not think about at home. You can do your work and paint, socialize. Been wonderful. It's like my dream come true. <laughs> One of the greatest gifts about Art Needles is that it provides individuals with disabilities the opportunity to really pursue their dreams, to really bring forward their gifts and talents. We believe in the power of the work that the artists in the studio are able to put forward. The work stands on its own, and it's something that we want to be able to recognize and make sure is part of the broader visual arts community. I started drawing when I was eight years old. I realized that I want to become an illustrated book writer because when I go to every bookstore, they don't have any special books for kids with special needs. I want to show the world who we are. Since 2001, artists in the studio have sold over a million dollars worth of artwork, which is a testament to the power of their work. For most of the artists in the studio, the income that they earn here is some of the only flexible income that they may get. And so it allows artists the independence that many of us can appreciate. It has changed my life in the sense that I, I never really had a place that I could sit and work on my stuff. You know, I would have to be at places only a couple of hours at a time. I would have to get up and leave, but now I have somewhere a dedicated space where I can actually work on projects and finish them. The arts are an incredible and powerful form of communication. And for many of our artists, their artwork is their primary way in which they're communicating and sharing their story to the community around them. It's an amazing way for them to be able to share their experience, their perspective, their unique voice. I think it's very important to have a place like this. I always like to make artwork, but you know, it, it seemed like something that was just out of reach. Like I was only going to be doing it for fun. This is actually providing, you know, a pathway to other things. Art Neighbors is pretty much the place to be, man. And next, we have our interview for, with our featured guest for the evening from Young Dance here in Minnesota, Lainey, Lexi, and Gretchen. Let's get into it. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 14th episode of Adapt Revolution, your weekly antidote to hate, greed, and ableism, where the D word is disability. Tonight, we have some very special guests with us from Young Dance. We have Lainey, Lexi, and we also have Gretchen, who is not in the screen. 
Um, but I'm going to let you all introduce yourselves first, and then I'll get started with some questions for you all so that everyone can find out about um, the great work that you all do at Young Dance. So go ahead and introduce yourselves when you're ready. I am Gretchen. Um, I am the executive director of Young Dance, and I also uh, lead the All Abilities dancing class. Um, and I have been doing so for about 10 years. Um, I am not a dancer who identifies as having a disability, but uh, dancing with um, individuals who have disabilities has transformed how I think about and approach dance and transformed my life as a dancer. Awesome. Nice to meet you. My name is Lainey, and I'm a student representative on the board for Young Dance. I've been with Young Dance for 11 years, and yeah. Awesome. Um, I'm Lexi. Uh, I am a dancer with Young Dance, and I've been dancing with Young Dance for about nine years. Cool. Well, welcome. Um, I know about Young Dance from Lexi and um, was able to go to one of your all performances. And I have to say, it's a very moving experience. Um, the show that I saw, just um, just the beauty of the dancers. And I was wondering if you all can talk about um, what brought you to Young Dance and what has kept you there. Like what's important to you about, about Young Dance? Um, sorry, can you repeat that? Yeah, what's important to you about Young Dance? What keeps you coming back? to young dance um what's important to me about young dance is that it's an amazing space where people can express themselves and dance freely and uh regardless of their background or abilities awesome Dance because I feel like I've been in like a lot here and I feel like I'm able to be myself and I made a lot of friends. Nice. Um, what is maybe a favorite moment that you can share from your time at Young Dance? Hitting our backstage before shows to like uh, kind of um, have a lot of energy. It's always fun. That's awesome. Um, for me, it might also be hanging out backstage, but I did, I did really enjoy learning to spin my walker around. Mm. <laughs> that was fun. <laughs> the move that you did when you spun your walker around. Yeah, where I lifted it off the ground. and Yeah, that was epic. Epic. And the glide across the stage, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Nice. Um, can I share a story? 
Yes, please. It's actually, well, it's one of my favorite moments, even though it's not, I wasn't in it. Um, but <laughs> there's a dancer who dances with us, whose name is Lily. Mm-hmm. Um, and Lily uses a wheelchair and Lily doesn't um, use her voice to speak words. Um, um, and Lily doesn't have a lot of control over her physical movements. And Lily has been dancing with us for many, many years. And being a dancer is a really important part of Lily's identity. Um, And two summers ago, um, Young Dance performed in the Off-Kilter Cabaret, um, which is a cabaret performance designed to highlight artists with disabilities. and Lily was in that performance. And um, later that summer, Lily was at the MIA with her father and someone saw her and came up to her and said, you're that dancer I saw perform in the off-kilter cabaret, aren't you? Um, and that was such a, a wonderful validation of Lily's identity as a dancer that someone else out in the world was seeing her as a dancer. Yeah. Yeah. What, um, what do you, what do you have, um, those of you that have been in young dance, what do you want to say to people who maybe haven't tried dance before, um, that are thinking about getting into it? Like, what would you say to someone, um, that was thinking about, about dancing? Scared. Because people are usually very nice at dance, and like they make you feel like you fit in. If you're looking into trying dance, definitely try young dance. <laughs> oh. Yeah, we'll um we'll make sure that we post up some links to young dance in the podcast description too so that people can find out more about you guys too. So Thank you. Um yeah, I was wondering we um we ask all of our podcast uh guests if they have any jokes and I've and Lexi has one joke on the Adapt Revolution show so far, but I'm wondering if you guys have any other jokes. No. I have one. Okay. So a piece of string walks into a bar, bartender says, I'm sorry, we don't serve string here. So the bar- bartender, so the string goes home, uh, puts on a tie, ruffles up his hair, comes back to the bar the next day. Bartender says, hey, aren't you that string you came in? String says, no, I'm afraid not. <laughs> but I'm so bad. Nice. <laughs> I have an algebra joke. Oh, yeah. Go for it. <laughs> um, uh. Dear algebra teacher, uh, <laughs> I remember. Uh, dear algebra teacher, I can't find your X. They're gone. I don't know why either. Oh wow! Nice. I don't know why either, dude. Um. Okay, I have another question for you all. Um, 
we ask all of the folks who come on the show, what are your dreams for um, the kind of world that includes all of us more? Like the way that Young Dance includes people, what are your dreams um, for the ADAPT revolution? What What's your dream for the world that you wanna live in? I want there to be more door buttons. <laughs> and less stairs, or like oh, more yeah. elevators. Yeah. Cool. Lexi, did you notice the new door button in our entrance coming in to the building? No, I didn't see it. There's, it's there. It's finally. Oh, years of asking, it's there. I was literally just saying to Galen, <laughs> oh man, they, like they <laughs> sidewalks, but man, if they could only put a door button in. They did. <laughs> but I didn't see it. <laughs> That's so cool. That's funny. All right, y'all. Um, Gretchen, do you want to share any hopes and dreams or any other uh, anything else you want to share with the audience? Um, well, I want to share my answer to the question what to tell someone who's thinking oh, yeah. about dance. Um, that everybody expresses themselves with their bodies. And uh so everybody is a dancer. Um and that's what we value here at Young Dance. Um, and that's uh, what we try to create space for in our classes. Um, and I guess my dream is that we have specific classes that are called All Abilities Dancing Classes that are um, geared towards people with lots of diverse abilities, uh, creating relationships through movement. Um, we also have a lot of other dance classes and anyone of, with any ability or disability is welcomed into those classes. And we want to make accommodations to make it possible for anybody to participate. Um, so my dream is that all of our classes look as richly diverse as the All Abilities dancing classes. Mm. Um, and then beyond that, that the dance world looks as diverse as the All Abilities dancing classes, because there's so much richness in how people speak with their bodies. That's awesome. All right, y'all, anything else you want to share with the audience? We have to say no, because it's no. Okay. <laughs> it's audio. <laughs> I was just thinking. All right, y'all. Um, well, thank you so much for being on the show. And I would love to bring the show to um, a young dance show sometime and maybe interview dancers backstage or something. That would be like really fun, I think, to do that. with. That's them. a wonderful idea. You know, we are performing again in the Off-Kilter Cabaret, November 17th, 18th, 19th. Okay. Um, not just young dance, but other artists with disabilities. That's yeah. a super fun idea. Oh, I would love that. 17th, 18th, and 19th of November. Yep. Okay. All right. Let's plan on it. Yeah. Wonderful. All right. Thank you, Gretchen. Thank you, Lainey. Thank you, Lexi. Thank, Thank you. you. Have a wonderful night. Okay. You too. Thanks. Bye, -bye. Bye now. Thanks again to Young Dance for the interview. If you think you're an artist, you are an artist. Join the movement. Let's go.
And that about wraps up our episode of Adapt Revolution, your weekly antidote to hate, greed, and ableism, where the D word is disability. Thanks for tuning in. Living. Spirits stay high so I get it how I live it Start my day up with a prayer and some limit Pour it in the cup of this water that I'm sipping Then I bake up and check my agenda Back to the grind cause my name you'll remember today I got time for my own destination Two years where the life will be vacation And every black kid that can rap on a track got a burst But the gula they gon' stack in and put in mama's purse But if they get much greater finna teach my mama to fly Take it to a place where her soul will align the divine ancestral line that's hers and mine all in due time peep the incline we on the rise touching the skyline i plant my seeds and water them so they grow i shine my light so i can reap what i sow yeah so when you see me stacking paper and dough you'll recognize that this here grinds not for show the life that I'm living is the mother right that I'm giving. See, I'm in tune with the rags and the riches. Cause I've been here since before the beginning. Swimming in water that only exists on levels higher than wickedness. I floated the focus from heating the brick. By floating in lotus and healing the sick. Total my mind above abyss and eternal blissfulness. So I'm forever feeling the kisses of my ancestral spirits. No, I just ride And I just take my time Cause I'm just so alive I plant my seeds and water them so they grow I shine my light so I can reap what I sow yeah. So when you see me stuck in paper and dough You'll recognize that this here grinds not for show So let me bring it back Don't let me bring it back Don't let me bring it back to divulge you some more About why I do this and who I do it for All the little shorties coloring on the floor Expressing who they really truly are at the core And now we at war with ourselves and the pressure in touch with our ancestors Thinking that our body only lives in the dresser Every version of how we feel must be censored I was that girl one time in my life But now I got it back and I made that shit right Overstand that my hands were created to heal So watch as I whip and I chef every meal uh, The deal's coming at major velocity I got protection or he should be watching me I can't be touched by the hate or hypocrisy Glow up is coming with heat and ferocity I plant my seeds and water them so they grow. I shine my light so I can read what I sow, yeah. So when you see me stacking paper and dough, you'll recognize that this year grind's not for show.